coming up. I was totally horrified. Our whole staff was horrified that this is what had happened to a gentleman that he and his family thought that his body was going for the advancement of medical students. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Chris Ingalls, an investigative reporter for King 5 TV in Seattle, Washington, and Ryan Coe, an investigative photographer also at King 5 TV, have been investigating a public pay-per-view autopsy class that was originally scheduled for Halloween Day in Seattle. The event was canceled, but a similar event did take place in Portland, Oregon earlier in October. Chris and Ryan, uh, how in the heck did you first hear about this? And we've got a lot to talk about here, but when did this first come to your attention? You know, that old classic uh, way that reporters hear about things, you know, through their viewers or their readers. And that's what happened here. It was a, a simple tip from a guy who said, hey, take a look at this fo- this Facebook post that's advertising what looks like an autopsy where you pay a few hundred bucks and you come in and you uh, watch a body, you know, be dis- dissected right in front of you. I mean, it sounded impossible, but it, but it was true. And did, did did you hear about this after the Portland event and before the Seattle event was scheduled? No. Fortunately, we heard about it before both events took place. So we were actually able to buy a ticket to the event in Portland, you know, thinking that potentially this is just some big hoax, right? But um, when Ryan went into that hotel ballroom, he saw that it was very real. Ryan, describe for us what you saw, what you heard when you went into the ballroom. Did you have a, a camera hidden away, or how did that work out? Yeah, we have a, a button camera. So it's a camera that uh, looks like the button of, of a shirt. And um, I was wearing that as I walked into the ballroom with about 30 or 40 other people to watch this uh, live cadaver dissection. Um, we all, uh, well, there was, there were two sections of seating. You had your VIPs who paid over $500 to sit in the front row. They were feet, uh, within feet of, um, the body there in the ballroom. Uh, the, I guess I was part of the general admission and we were in the rows behind the VIPs and they had several monitors, for those sitting in the back, it was, you know, difficult to see. It's not like you have risers or anything. So they had multiple cameras. They were taking video themselves, the organizers of the of the event. And um, then the professor, retired professor from Montana, uh, addressed everybody from the at the beginning, and and it got underway. Ryan, I want to come back and ask you a few more questions about what you saw that day, but. Ryan or Chris, tell us about who's behind this, how this all came about. Yeah, when we went to the, you know, the tipster pointed us to a Facebook page, and it was pretty clear from the beginning. They weren't concealing it. This was run by an organization called DeathScience.org, and it's almost like they, you know, death investigation playtime. It's kind of strange. You know, you've got guys who profess to have some expertise in uh in death investigations, they set up mock scenes. They actually build human bones and cadavers out of plastic. They spend a lot of time modeling, you know, these things. And then they make videos and these, you know, TikTok videos and things like that. So it's all run by a guy named Jeremy Siliberto, um, who has a real fascination in this area and makes 
uh, amateur films about it. He makes his bone art with replica human bones. He has podcasts, and it's all shrouded in this um, company, this organization that he calls DeathScience.org. And Ryan, as you as you watched, I mean, was this everything you would expect from a, an actual autopsy? What was what was done? If you can describe some of it. Yes, I think the retired professor who was leading the dissection treated it as if we were his students. He he had done this countless times before at, at, in Montana as a professor, and and that's how he treated it. Um, we, you know, we we were his students, and and he uh, approached it in that manner. I feel like, um, yeah, he, you know, he started the incision like he would uh, if he had uh, medical students with him and, and showed the, the proper uh, incision to make when you're um, dissecting the torso and the organs uh, in that region of the body. And, and he went through it step by step, uh, highlighting uh, different things that he saw in the body, removing organs and showing us the features of each organ. Um, so yeah, it was very, very detailed and and very specific. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong on this timeline, but the way I, I have viewed the, your reporting on this is that you put out a report, you you interview the guy behind all this, right? And then you came back and had uh, done some more investigation. But can you talk about that first interview you did with him? Yeah, I mean, we really had, um, you know, two questions, um, you know, how in the world did you get your hands on a human body to do this? And secondly, did the donor or the donor's family give consent for this kind of public display of his body? Um, and on the first question, um, you know, with a little with a little bit of pointed questioning, because he didn't want to give it up at first, but he admitted that the company that he got the body from was is called MedEd Labs out of Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a for-profit company that's basically a body broker. They try to get bodies to sell to, um, you know, medical seminars, medical tool companies, and in this case, this bizarre kind of show that took place in Portland. Um, so we found out where the body came from. That industry, the body broker industry, there's a lot of questions about that and, and a lot of criticism of lax regulations. So that's a area that we're looking into, and, you know, but secondly, the question of whether he, he had consent from the donor or the donor's family to do this, he assured us that he absolutely did have consent and that he could guarantee that um, this donor's family knew that he would be used for medical research, which is what Jeremy Silberto said this was. And then you dug in some more, right? And, and I think part of the question I have about all this, and, and I'm sure you do as well, in fact, you, you pointedly asked it, is there a crime involved here? I'm not sure if we have an answer on that, but the second part of your investigation has at least revealed more than we knew at first, right? Yeah, we intentionally put... So I'm going to let Ryan tell you how he got the name of this man. He walked out of the room with the man's name, the donor's name. That was the key to being where we are today. Without that name, we would never know who this donor was, and I'm sure that's the way the organizers wanted it. So I'll let Ryan tell you how he came up with the guy's name. So after the dissection was broke up into multiple uh, sections where he would start with uh, an organ or two, and then we would have a break 
uh, in between. And everybody was invited, uh, VIPs first, general mission second, to line up and come get a closer look. So uh, on the first pass, as I was um, taking a closer look at whatever the professor had laid out, I noticed um, the gentleman had a bracelet, a medical bracelet on his wrist. And so on the second pass, on the second invitation to come take a closer look, I made an effort to get down close to that bracelet. And I noticed the last name. And so on the third pass, I got even closer and started repeating and spelling the name in my head because I knew I wasn't going to get my camera, which was a tiny camera and a button, close enough to his arm to record that name. So I made, uh, I took a long, a long time to re-spell his name continuously in my head to, to memorize it. And so that to make sure that I, I knew and I was positive I had the right name. What happens next? You're able to then chase down where the body came from at that point or, or, or get what happens next? We intentionally put the name of David Saunders in our story just to get it out into the universe, hoping that somebody somewhere would see that name and and lead us to the donor because we had all these questions about whether the donor's family had, in fact, given consent. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, we were not able to find a David Saunders who died and was 86 years old, as the organizer had said. We just couldn't find him after a national search of death records. Um, But because the story was out there with his name, it drifted through various Facebook communities and into a Facebook community in Louisiana, where a bunch of funeral directors are members. And one of the people that was a member of that Facebook group recognized the name and thought that he knew which funeral home a David Saunders may have come from. And you, in fact, then spoke to that funeral director. Tell us about your conversation with him and what you learned. Yeah, the funeral director said that um, a David Saunders family had originally tried to make a donation of his body to Louisiana State University. In fact, he'd been signed up for years to be a donor. But because of his COVID infection, uh, he had not been accepted. Um, And so uh, the funeral home that was handling his body um, was told to send the body to MedEd Labs in Las Vegas. And uh, MedEd Labs just told, told the funeral home that his body would be used for medical research and that was kind of the end of it. So the funeral director was said he was horrified to read our story that uh, Mr. Saunders has been part of this public autopsy. Uh, my name is Mike Clark. I work for Silver Lining Funeral Services in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. What did you think when you saw that story? What did you think about what had happened to Mr. Saunders? Honestly, I was horrified. Uh, he was a registered donor to donate his body to an anatomical department with the medical school. At the current time, uh, due with COVID, the school was declining uh, accepting their donors and was referred to an organization 
that would do what he had planned to have his body donated to science for cadaver use. Did Mr. Saunders or his family have any idea whatsoever that this would happen? To my knowledge, the only thing they thought is that he would be going to a medical school for students. Did you have any idea that this is where Mr. Saunders would end up here in the Northwest? No idea at all. Did you ever, have you ever heard of such a thing, Mike? Like what, what happened here in Seattle, uh, uh, really a pay-per-view autopsy? Never. I have been in this business over 40 years and we have handled a lot of anatomical donors for families over the years and never. They were always went to the medical schools and exactly what they signed up for is what happened. What did MedEd Labs tell you about what would happen to Mr. Saunders? That he was going for anatomical cadaver use at a medical school. And did it, now that you know what happened, did what they told you match with what actually happened to Mr. Saunders? No. Do you feel like you were deceived? Totally, and I feel like the family was also. And what does that make you feel? It makes me really feel saddened that this gentleman was not given the dignity and the respect that he deserved and what he thought and his family thought that would be happening to his body. Well, I think it's reprehensible. Reached by phone in Louisiana, 92-year-old Elsie Saunders was shocked to learn how her late husband's body was used. Using my husband's body like... He's a performing bear or something. I, I really don't know the correct way to describe it, but that's what I feel like. It's, it's, he's on display. When reached by phone, the manager of MedEd Lab said event organizers indicated the cadaver would be used for training. Anatomical and dissection purposes to teach students and people human anatomy, you know, what happens with the human body, with organs as a person passes away. So they suggested this was educational. One million percent, God, is exactly what it was. Do you feel like you were misled? Yeah, God, we did not know it was going to be used for a paying audience. Uh, we don't do that. We don't, we've never done anything like that, ever. During an interview last week, event organizer Jeremy Siliberto, founder of Death Science, promised the donor and his family gave consent. I can guarantee that he knew his body would be used for um, medical education. What was your reaction when you learned that he had a COVID infection and was then used in, in this manner? This almost seemed to be just the worst case scenario, you know, the, the worst kind of thing you could imagine that you know, this family gets plunged into this after they've already lost him. He died in August at age 98. And then there's this thing about a COVID-infected body, you know, arriving in Portland and, you know, being displayed in a Marriott hotel ballroom. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine anything worse. It just makes everybody that would have been there question whether they were in harm's way and, and why this thing was even happening at all. It just puts a finer point on the, the, the bizarre nature of all this. Yeah, and Chris, you brought up, I mean, one main issue here is this body broker business lacks regulations. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, but where do things stand now? I mean, it, is there 
a crime here? Or is there further investigation to be done? Are the authorities looking at this at all? It's really hard to say if there's a crime here. I don't know the answer to that yet. I do know from other stories I've done on this private for-profit body broker industry that they genuinely issue contracts to donors saying that once you hand the body over to us, it's our property and we do with it as we see fit. Um, now, they claim they're going to be using it for medical research and science, but really they can be be using it for whatever they want to, uh, perhaps according to the terms of their contract. So I can't say for sure that there's a crime here. Ethically, it sure seems wrong, but is it criminal? I'm just not sure about that. The Seattle event was canceled. Do, do you know what's next for this organization, Chris? Where does this go from here? I, I feel like it won't be the end of hearing about this. Yeah, I, you know, I can only use the last words from Jeremy Siliberto when we were interviewing him. You know, I, I asked him if he regretted the Portland show, given some of the criticism that was coming his way. He said, no, he said, not at all. He said, in fact, it's our plan to go on and do more shows in 2022, and I'm trying to get those scheduled. So, you know, uh, deathscience.org is still out there. Jeremy hasn't told me that he's changed his mind in any way. Um, So I'm assuming that um, he would like to do this again. MedEd Labs of Las Vegas has said that it will not supply him with any bodies. It said that it did not give him the body that he was supposed to have here for the Seattle show, which did get canceled after we did our story. So how he'll get human bodies will be the real question. But um, knowing this business and, you know, the, the stories that keep coming out of this body broker business, you just have to wonder if there'll be a seller out there someday for him. Chris Ingalls and Ryan Coe at King 5 TV in Seattle, Washington. Amazing investigative work. And uh, we really appreciate your time telling us about this. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday with new episodes Monday through Friday. We also have a weekly show covering cases around the country, True Crime Chronicles. Check it out today wherever you listen to podcasts. That's True Crime Chronicles. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. 